Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. Hey, y'all ready to do Daniel? Let's go for it. Um, there, was a, there was a pastor that went, went for his church and, and he said, I have, some, I have some bad news and I have some good news. And then I've got some more bad news. So he said, the bad news is the church needs a new roof. And everybody's like, oh my gosh. He said, wait, but the good news is it's already paid for. And everybody's like, oh, that's great. He said, but the bad news is, is the money's still in your pockets. <laughs> I am not doing that to you today. But when we get to the book of Daniel, sometimes you got some bad news and then you get some Good news. And we're going to kind of take it in that order. It's like the way it works, you know? I've got some bad news and some good news. Which one do you want first? And you're like, I'll take the bad news, and then hopefully the good news kind of offsets it, right? Well, that's kind of what's going to happen in in the book of Daniel. So let's just start with the bad news. Um, And let's start in chapter 10, in verse 1. It says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel who was called Belteshazzar. And just remember, Daniel is his Hebrew name, and Belteshazzar is the name that he was given when he went into Babylonian captivity. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. And this is the way that verse 2 goes. It says, And at that time I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. Three weeks. During that time I didn't eat any rich food, no meat, and that just made me pump the brakes right there. Because the way I look at it is, is if I'm having a meal and there's no meat on the plate, that's not a meal. That's a snack. You, I mean, you got to have meat. He said, I didn't have any meat. No wine entered my mouth. And I didn't put any oil on my body. And at that point, all of his friends were stepping up and going, Danny, I mean, I understand you're sad, but deodorant's great. <laughs> I mean, he mourns for three weeks. Okay, so what's, what's going on? There are a couple of things. By this time in the story of the Daniel, the first wave of exiles has started to go back home. Remember, they've been under Babylonian captivity for a long time now. And so the first wave of them are getting to go back home. Can you imagine? That'd be a pretty amazing experience, wouldn't it? And they were led, this was done under the leadership of a guy named Zerubbabel. I'm not expecting you to remember that. But if you go to Ezra 1 and 2, you'll find that that's actually what it's talking about. So some people think that Daniel was in mourning because, well, here you are. And it's like, hey, you can go back home. And a lot of the Jews are like, "Ah, I'm just going to stay. So some are thinking, Daniel's like, what's wrong with you? Go back home. So maybe that's what's going on. Um, Others believe it was because Ezra was was facing really severe opposition in the rebuilding of the temple. That's a possibility. And imagine if, if the temple is like the center place of your worship and you have people that are working against you for that to actually come about, that's gonna grieve Daniel. That's a possibility. But Daniel hadn't gone back either. He's still back. And some are, well, why didn't Daniel go back? Well, he's in his mid-80s at this point. And so, you know, he may have a thing in his back. I'm just kidding. I don't know if it's that. But he's in his mid-80s. But you know why most people think that Daniel was sticking around? Is because he was of better use to stay where he was at to help people transition back home because he was put in a position of power and influence. And so he chose to stay. If they're right on that, then it shows you once again the heart of Daniel, doesn't it? Because he had longed to go home, 
But in spite of that, he says, but I'm gonna continue to lead so that my people can get back home. You just get a little bit of the heart of Daniel. But then starting in verse four, Daniel has visions. There, there are a lot of things. Uh, this book is filled with visions in case you haven't seen it, but a lot of things in the second vision of Daniel overlap with previous visions that you already saw in the book. In fact, all of the visions, if you were to take the book of Daniel and say, I'm gonna read it from cover to cover, all of the visions and dreams of the book of Daniel, whether they were given to pagans, somebody like a Nebuchadnezzar, or even to Daniel, they are all about a series of world kingdoms that are going to rise up and every single one of them is going to oppress the worship of God and the people of God. Every single one of them. You, you see this earlier in the book of Daniel. There's going to be the Babylonians. And after the Babylonians, there's gonna be the Persians. They're gonna take them over. After the Persians, you have the Greeks with the rise of a guy named Alexander the Great. And he's really going to expand a kingdom. And after Greece, then the Romans are going to step in. And what Daniel does is he explains to us that certain elements of the first few kingdoms, they give us a foretaste of what the future is actually going to be like. For example, in chapters seven and eight, Daniel prophesied that a ruthless king was going to arise out of Greece and be particularly hostile to the people of God. And you know what? He was spot on with it because about 300 years later, there was this guy, Antiochus Epiphanes. He came to power in about 160 BC. And as you look in Daniel uh, chapters seven and eight, just like he prophesied, he was particularly blasphemous toward God and vicious to the people of God. He's, he's been called by some people the, the Hitler of that day and that time. By the way, that's not good, right? Not good. He slaughtered in cold blood tens of thousands of Jewish men, women, and children. He desecrated the temple by sacrificing a pig on the altar and then forcing the Jews to eat the pig meat. Now, just so you know, that wasn't something that was a part of their diet. That would be like making me eat broccoli. I mean, that is a vile weed, people, and I'm not gonna do it. But this is what he was up to. He made them eat pig flesh. He then committed what the Bible calls the abomination of desolations by setting up a statue of himself in the Holy of Holies and making all the people come into the Holy of Holies, which used to be such a sacred space that not everybody was walking in there. And he brings them in not to worship God, but to worship him in the place of the worship of God. This is the abomination of desolations. You can actually learn more about this if you want to by reading First and Second Maccabees. Those are books that aren't in the Bible, but they're historically pretty informative. And that's one of the things it talks about. There's a lot going on, is that fair? Now, that said, when you read the Bible, here we've been talking about Babylon. Babylon also represents a spiritual power that is at work in every secular kingdom in every age. That's what Babylon does. Uh, in the New Testament, including the book of Revelation, the early, or for those of you that watched the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Revelations. It's, it's singular though, just so you know. If you were to read Revelation, the early Christians used the word Babylon as a code name for Rome even though Rome was miles away from the ancient city of Babylon and had no political connection to Babylon whatsoever. I mean, Babylon, you've gotta, you've gotta go over into modern day Iraq, drop into Baghdad, drop down about 60 miles and you're there. This is, Rome was not the same thing, but the New Testament writers would use the language of Babylon to describe who the Romans actually were. 
And so in the book of Revelation, Babylon becomes the apostle John's name for a whole system that is at odds with Jesus. Systems that are at odds with Jesus. I like the way that Paul Carter describes it. He said, in the Old Testament, Babylon was a city. In the New Testament, Babylon is a spirit. It's a spirit. So the the spirit of Babylon, when you look at it, it's one of dominating people, suppressing people. Ancient Babylon took over people. They were cruel to them. They forced them to learn their way of life and to accept all of their beliefs. That's what they did. By the way, the spirit of Babylon is active even right now. It's active, for example, in North Korea. If you want to know what's the place in the world where Christians are the most persecuted, and the answer is, it's North Korea. Right now, as we are worshiping in this place, there are, by estimates, somewhere to the tune of 50,000 to 70,000 people that are in prison in North Korea simply because they are Christians. If they find that there's a person that is a Christian and they're caught, they're usually deported either to a labor camp Uh, to work because they're considered a political enemy or they're just immediately killed or the women, for example, are subjected to sexual violence and the reason that they do that is they want to mock the Christian beliefs about the importance of sexual purity. All of that's going on right now while we're worshiping in this place. The spirit of Babylon never died. It's alive right now. And the spirit of Babylon wants to take control of key institutions and principles. For example, the institution of marriage or the institution of family. And what they do is they do it in this, what the spirit of Babylon does is it focuses on taking control over entities that will have the most impact in our daily lives. You saw it in the book of Daniel. You're seeing it even today. It's actually never stopped. Like our education system and even like our government. Now, You would like to think that's a good place to stop, but I'm not done. Because when you look in Daniel chapter 11, verses 36 to 39, Daniel's describing a king. And look at the way that he describes this king. He says, the king will do as he pleases. He'll exalt and magnify himself above every God and say unheard of things against the God of gods. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed for what has been determined must take place. He'll show no regard for the gods of his ancestors or for the one desired by women, nor will he regard any God, but he will exalt himself above them all. And instead of them, he will honor a God or a fortress. Think like your military. A God unknown to his ancestors, he will honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He'll attack the mightiest fortresses with the help of a foreign God and will greatly honor those who acknowledge him. He will make them rulers over many people and will distribute the land at a price. I hope you're seeing a theme here because what Daniel 11 is describing is this, is that behind everything that you see in systems that you look at and can see is a system behind it that is at work, that is working it like a puppet. And what happens is, is we start to desire the things that those people actually desire, power and control. And we'll even expand it so that we can have more of it. But all the while behind it, guess what? It's demonic and it's evil and we buy into it. Uh, I, I want to point out a couple of things. This is a good place to stop and to point out a, a couple of things that I think you see in the book of Daniel. And, and this is the first. First is this, Satan has organized his demonic forces into a hierarchy. They're real, they are there, and they do well to hide themselves 
so that you won't actually chalk it up to them. There's, there's some form of rank, is what I'm saying, as indicated. Even if you look in Paul's letters, for example, Colossians 1.16, it describes the spiritual forces as principalities and authorities and powers and dominions and thrones and world rulers. You see some distinctions that he's making there? And what he's saying all along is, and very active in all of these. Very active in all of these. This, friends, this is our Wizard of Oz moment. It's what it is. Getting a glimpse of what is behind the curtain. You know what I'm talking about for those of you who've seen The Wizard of Oz. Everybody's afraid of this great wizard. You tear the curtain and you see who's really back there. And it wasn't who anybody thought all along. Well, it's the same thing with the way that demons typically work. They're back there and they're working behind the curtain and you're sitting there not thinking about them at all. C.S. Lewis, uh, when he wrote about this, he said there, there are kind of two words of caution when it comes to this. Uh, one is that you chalk everything up to the demonic. And he goes, that, that's not wise or biblical. But the other is that you chalk nothing up to the demonic and that's equally foolish. And I think he's right. The scenario that is described in Daniel chapter 10 is probably the most explicit support that you will find in all of the Bible that there is such a thing as a nationalistic spirit. It's there. And here's what I mean by that. In response to his humility and prayer, because Daniel was praying, you know, God help, God sends an angel to help Daniel. And he does that all the time in scripture, doesn't he? I'm gonna send a messenger, I'm gonna send help. However, if you continue to read Daniel, it says that the angel's uh, arrival was delayed 21 days because he had been hindered by, quote, the prince of the kingdom of Persia. So you see in verse 13, and you go, what in the world is that? And the answer is, not just your normal guy. Not just your normal guy. We, we know he's not a human prince because he's able to resist an exalted angelic being. Something no human by themselves could reasonably do. The other thing that we know is he's able to resist with such force that Michael, the angel, had to be summoned for help. This is a powerful cat, that's all I'm saying. This is a powerful cat. And finally, even when you look in scripture, the word prince, it's applied to Michael, who we already know to be an angel. So when all of this is going on behind the scenes, you have this angelic and demonic conflict. Boom, boom, butting heads. There's no evidence in the book of Daniel that Daniel actually saw this. This is something revealed to him later, but he came to understand it. So the, the prince of the kingdom of Persia is a demonic being assigned by Satan to that nation as his special area of activity. You go get them. And he was to provide a hindrance to God's will and kingdom there, especially among God's people under Persian rule. Go oppress them. That's what they were doing. We even read in verse 13 that Gabriel, let me just quote it, had been left there with the kings, plural, of Persia. I believe, I believe that the, the kings of Persia were additional demonic spirits that were assigned by Satan to influence the nation and the world that they were inhabiting. Verse 20 said that after his encounter with, with, with Daniel, Gabriel was to return to resume his battle with the prince of Persia. We've already seen that's demonic. And so what this indicates is that whatever the nature of the fight was going on in verse 13, and it was a fight, Gabriel was not able to forever destroy or banish that prince. The fight continued on. And here's, here's what it shows us. 
there's at least one high-ranking demon assigned to each country or nation, perhaps with lesser demons there to help. It's a whole group of them. And where are they? Well, where are the influencers? And the answer is TikTok. I'm just saying. <laughs> Don't write that down. <laughs> Here's the thing. The bad news is that things are only going to get worse as this spirit increases. This spirit that is described as Babylon, it grows and it grows and it grows. Daniel says at the beginning of chapter 12, verse one, about the end, he said, there will be a time of distress such as has never occurred since the nations came into being until that time. It's not gonna get better. Remember, I said, we're starting with the bad news. We're still in the bad news portion of the sermon, right? It's gonna get worse and worse. Think about it. The Babylonians persecuted the Israelites. We already saw how about 300 years later, how evil Antiochus Epiphanes was around 160 BC. I was bar raising evil. And the spirit of Babylon is working today, right now. I already talked about North Korea. If you were to look in, uh, there's a group called Open Doors. I recommend you to go and read them. This is what they do. They study persecution. And just so you know, the most persecuted people group on the face of the earth are Christians. It's not even close. It's Christians. Just last year, 5,000 Christians were murdered for their faith. Just last year. 14,766 churches and places of worship were either completely destroyed or mostly destroyed simply because they were practicing their faith. And just so you know, that was six times higher than the year before. Things are only getting worse. Uh, also, almost 300,000 Christians just this last year were displaced from their homes. Why? Because they were people of faith. That's why. This is what's happening in the world right now. And I could do more. I just want you to get a flavor of it. The spirit of Babylon is alive and well. It's well. But I want to give you a challenge. Here's a challenge. A theme of the book of Revelation, which often quotes the book of Daniel, the one that we've been studying, is simply this. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. How do we live in light of that truth even as we're su we suffer and are persecuted? How do we live in light of that truth? And Daniel 12, three tells us how. He says, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. That's how. Is that you, you dig your feet in and you maintain your witness in the light of tremendous darkness around you. And maybe how about this? Because of tremendous darkness around you. If, if you are a Christian, that means that you have been delivered from darkness and into light. And I don't know about you, but I want the same for everybody else what I've already got. I want them to be delivered from darkness and I want them to be delivered into the light. All this is well and good. We still have this question. How do you live while you are in exile? How do you do that? Daniel is about how to live wisely in a place where God isn't respected. Does that sound familiar? In a culture where everybody around you lives by different values than you do and sees you not as just, not as just like an inconvenience, but they actually see you as an enemy or an actual threat to their way of life. Does that sound familiar? I think there are a couple of ways that we can choose to respond. Actually, I'll give you three. Here's the first. One is you can choose to syncretize the Christian faith with everything else that's out there. I think that's a possibility, except it's just wrong. 
uh, when you think about what syncretism is, and you're like, what does that even mean? It means that you try to blend other things in with Christianity. And friends, it won't work. It won't work. One, you're defiling what is, is good and true and beautiful by mixing something in that is married to darkness. That won't work. But think about this, and I say this as I have conversations even with, with Muslim friends. You know, Muslim friends don't even believe that Jesus died on the cross. We do. You can't have it both ways. And if you don't die on the cross, then there's no resurrection. We believe in both a death and a resurrection. You can't have it both ways. How is it that you're supposed to take things that are logically inconsistent with each other and say, let's throw it together and make a nice gumbo out of it? And the answer is, you can't at least and be consistent. But one of the things that I've seen people try to do to appease what they're going through is to just yield to them. That's fine, I'll take what you're doing and I'll just, I'll just stir it in with what I'm doing too. And then we're all happy. It won't work. And the problem with this approach, beyond just being logically inconsistent, the other problem with this is the second you go down that road, nobody sees their need for Jesus at all. You can have Jesus and I can just have whatever I want. And I'm not telling you anything that Jesus didn't say before me because he said, I'm the way. It's me. It's not all this other stuff. It's me. So that's one possibility. Here's another possibility. In light of persecution and hardship, you can separate yourself from everything because after all, persecution is tough. And friends, it is. There isn't anything that I said that came from open door that I would look at and say, you know what? I bet that was a lot of fun. There's nothing about that that's a lot of fun but they were being persecuted because of their living witness. Some people will say, you know what? So that I don't have to face this, I think I'm just gonna, I'm gonna run. The problem with that approach, it is, it is hard to be light when the light is running away. How do you shine? And that isn't what Daniel said to do. In Daniel chapter 12, verse three, what did he say? Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. They will expose the darkness for what it is by being a living witness in it. So separation isn't gonna work. So I think following Daniel's advice is gonna be the best. Jeremiah, he was the prophet leading up to the fall of Jerusalem and the exile, everything that you read in the book of Daniel, leading up to it. This is what he said in Jeremiah 29, four through seven. This is what the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel says to all the exiles. Build houses in Babylon, live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Have sons and daughters. Multiply there. Don't decrease. Seek the well-being of the city to which I've deported you. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. That's how Jeremiah says it. Don't run. Build up your homes. Build up your families. Build up his witness. Stay put and stay firm. Stay firm. In the Old Testament, let me remind you, Babylon is a place in the New Testament, Babylon is a spirit that will be crushed when Jesus comes back. Did you notice this theme as you read the book of Daniel, and especially when you get to chapters 10, 11, and 12? It says all of these powers, because they are described as a power, all of these principalities, all of these world rulers, all of them will thrive. Have you ever wondered why they do? Have you ever wondered that? Daniel, Daniel was pointing out they will thrive. He goes, until. And what that means is there's going to be a limit to it. And there's going to be an end of it. Look at the way that Revelation 18, 1 and 2 describes it when the spirit of Babylon gets crushed. 
I saw another angel coming down from heaven. This angel had a great power. The angel's glory made the earth bright. The angel shouted with a powerful voice. She's destroyed. The great city of Babylon is destroyed. She's become home for the demons. That city has become a place for every unclean spirit to live. But what happens? It's where they all went. And it was the place of their demise. Jesus puts an end to all of this. And so what this means is, is we kind of live in this, this place. We wait for him. And while we wait, we serve. And you can't serve while you're running. You can't serve while you're saying, it's fine if you believe whatever you want to believe. It's not. It's not. We need to believe things that are true. After Daniel tells us about this time of untold suffering, when he said there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since nations came into being until that time, here's what he says. If you continue reading in chapter 12, he said, but at that time, all of your people who are found written in the book will escape. And then chapter 12, verse two, and many who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to eternal life and some to shame and eternal disgrace. Two paths, there are two paths. Here's, here's what you have a choice over this morning. You have a choice over which path. Here's what you don't have a choice over this morning. The consequences of that path. You have no control over that. God has determined that. I, I want to note something to you this morning, my friend. Not everyone that is mentioned here in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, participates in a blessing. Did you catch that? Not everybody mentioned in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, participates in a blessing. He says, many who sleep in the dust will awake. Many, by the way, means not everybody, <laughs> right? And verse 1 says, it is only those who are found written in the book will escape. Written in the book. It's the book of life. It's what he's talking about. The book of life. It's the most important book in history. And it contains a list of all of those that said that they will walk away from the spirit of Babylon and they're going to turn to God. That's the path of the blessing. That's it. So this morning, I want to give you some time to, to pray. And we do this every week, but a couple, a couple of things I just want you to pray about as you do. One is, could you pray for our country today? Could you pray for our leaders today? Could you pray for world leaders? And think about what Daniel is saying. Behind the curtain of everything that they were experiencing was a conflict between angels and demons. And at first blush, it looks like the demons are winning the day, but they won't. And in the meantime, you know what that means? We live in the struggle too. Could you pray for our leaders? Could you pray for world leaders? Could you pray that these kinds of strongholds that are real could be broken? Could you pray that for you? I, I don't know about you, but even to this day, there's that figure of speech. You know, I'm, I'm fighting my demons. There's a figure of speech. So am I. And so am I. Mine are just probably different than yours. But this morning, you have an opportunity to at least call it what it is. And call it out. It's not just a sickness. It's like a sin disease. 
And when scripture talks about a stronghold, it's talking about something that literally like a weight around your neck and just binds you down. And you sit there and you go, I can't, I can't beat this. And the answer is, that's correct, at least on your own. But if you continue to read in Colossians 1, 16, where he talks about princes and principalities and powers and world rulers, he also goes on to say, and the reign has been broken in the work of Jesus Christ. And it can be broken for you today as well. All you have to do is call out on his name. He has an authority to do that for you right now. How many of you are bogged down by sin? Look at the brokenness of the world. It's kind of hard to deny. Maybe there's a better way. What do you think? Maybe there's a better way. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.